Happy Sunday. This is PFG Live for September 10th. And it is, <laughs> it's after two o'clock. Yeah, the clock is not off. It's me. Um, we started up and um, OBS crashed. Can't explain it, but we're good now. So I think we'll be fine. So good morning, everyone. And uh, I hope you're having an excellent Sunday. You may have seen the pictures on Instagram. It was a good morning launch and grinding is happening down in the shop as we speak. Let's see. Uh, DBX is checking in from Rockland County uh, reporting white plains at uh, Windsor 360 at six knots, visibility 10 miles, light rain, clouds scattered at uh, 900. Uh, sorry, 9,000, broken 11,000, temperature 2.1, dew point 1.9, altimeter 3011. Carl says it's 80 degrees and sticky in the Rhode Island. Wes is here. Welcome aboard, Wes. Uh, 74 degrees and beautiful in south central Idaho. Well, sounds great. Somebody else came in with a real early one. Oh, here we go. Joel was here with... Um, Today is supposed to break the 54-day record of 110 degrees F or higher. Only 103 Fahrenheit and 17% relative humidity at the moment in Chandler, Arizona. Chandler now is known as the melter of PLA. So, did I miss anyone here? I think I got everybody. Well, welcome aboard. So, uh, you know, when, when you get a problem, you respond to the problem. We have a saying in aviation, navigate, navigate, communicate in that order. WidgetWorks is checking in from central Alberta, 21C, 42% relative humidity, almost standard temperature and pressure. Uh, New York Machinist checks in with 70, with sparse rain in the Finger Lakes of New York. Well, uh, Right here, right now, in in uh, the Windham, New Hampshire, we've got this light, misty kind of rain. Although, as you can see from the top of the screen here, it reports that Manchester Airport is uh, winds 030 at 3 knots, visibility 5 miles, light rain, mist, overcast 800, temperature 21, 2.19. So that's what's going on here. Uh got a lot to talk about so last week we had a magnificent guest adam balog from uh, laney machine tech and that was a great talk we could have gone for for hours more that was a lot of fun so really last week and this week a whole bunch of shop stuff uh happened a bunch of things occurred and we'll cover all of those today widget works uh widget works is good who else is just checking in oh Yes, thank you, DBX. <laughs> I had to get that set up, and uh, I did it pretty quick. There's some there's some additional remarks after that, but uh, nobody cares. Um, yeah, so we had a crazy week. First of all, I have to tell you that our Discord server has been a win, and you know we've helped each other on the discord server people have collaborated there's been communication it's been really cool and i was i was one of the beneficiaries of such collaboration and i want to talk about that 
today, and that was with um, Dylan uh, from uh, Within Tolerance podcast, Fame, also Proteum Machining. And he's kind of a regular here, but I don't see him on yet today. But we had a really nice talk, and that led to a major solution. Uh, just as I was coming in today to get ready to do things, uh, I saw some traffic go by on the Bamboo Users Group on Facebook. And somebody said, hey, I'm trying to figure out how to put some graphics in the first layer, and I can't quite figure out how to do it. Does anybody know how to do it? So I quickly fired him a message saying, hey, come come over to the, the PFG Live. We're going to talk about that today. And we're going to talk about that today. Um, so that's coming. If you, if you were watching, uh, Instagram or Facebook, uh, this week, you might've noticed that I had a wasp problem. <laughs> um, no, this is not a commentary on people's, uh, uh, religious stands. Uh, this is the bug known as the wasp. We had a major hive of northern i think they're called northern yellow jackets or eastern yellow jackets it's either northern or eastern uh and in my office which is right over yonder okay i mean in the in the lab area uh they found a way in yeah hang in there all right uh, uh wes we're gonna we're gonna tell you oh did machine nz sneak in on me good morning uh, reporting 16 degrees C and expecting rain this afternoon. Welcome aboard. So we're going to do those layers. Also, uh, in the mailbag, uh, DBX received a copy of Precision Machine Design that's on your screen. Good job. I guess I have to get a copy now. So if you look behind my head here, if you're watching the video, you'll notice that in my office we have, I think this is called a, a hip roof or something, but we're upstairs in above the shop and that's the roof. And then we have two dormers. So you'll see there's a mirror, there's a, a window behind me. Well, not in this dormer, but the next dormer over, the wasps found a hole that had to be, you know, the size of a nickel. And it, rain wasn't getting in. It was it was weather sealed, but you know it was a way to get in. And they built a condo like you wouldn't believe. One day I was walking from from my office over to my bookkeeper's uh, office. That's Kareen, uh, uh, you know, twenty feet away. And my right ear happened to go past this wall that you see me pointing at right there or the, the ceiling because I'm always having to tip over to walk over there because uh, my lab is a mess. Don't judge me. And, oh, there's Proteum. Welcome on board, sir. So uh, as I tip my head over and I'm walking past, I hear this crunching sound. It just, just... <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell's going on here? So after some observation, I realized those are bugs. I didn't know what it was yet. So I go outside and I watched, and sure enough, I was able to observe the air traffic going to that spot. So a couple of weeks ago, 
we had the pest guys in and they sprayed and did things, did magic chemical things. And then finally, uh, this past week, my friend, uh, Rick, uh, who is a great contractor came over and he ripped, ripped open the wall with me. We did it together. It was a little scary. And I posted the photos on Instagram. So we cleaned that out together, vacuumed out all the stuff. There were still about a half a dozen wasps still kicking. How? We have no idea. They were clearly hurting, but they were not dead. So we got that all cleaned out. Rick did his magic, new insulation, uh, new drywall. It's been mudded and it's waiting for sanding and paint. So the wasps are gone, but that was amazing. I'd never seen anything like it before in my life. And it was in my wall. How exciting. So that's all taken care of. And we got that out of our hair. So, um, let's, let's jump into the, the problem solving. So I was, uh, on discord. So the way I use discord is if I'm sitting at my desk, and I'm grinding away at a problem and I don't, you know, I don't mind doing it. I will, uh, get on the discord server, go into one of the, the chat rooms and turn on my camera and my audio and sit there. And sometimes somebody else will, will join in and maybe they're working on something and we'll chat. It's like having a, a workplace. Um, Hey, K bonk is here reporting, clearing up after rain sprinkles, 75. can't read that i'm really if, if you're watching this video can if anybody could tell me how to get rid of that stupid uh symbol right there it's covering things up but anyway welcome aboard k bunk so i did that i did that last week and i was sitting there and i was working on trying to get my uh pfg stone trays and lids revamped so this is the lid and you can see that we changed up the uh, graphics. So we used to not have any graphics on the lid. I used to laser first, first I did nothing to the lid. Then later I started lasering the lid because I wanted the nomenclature on there and I wanted the trademark, the trademark, not the registered trademark, but the trademark on there. So we started lasering the lid. Then with the advent of the bamboo printers, and the ability to change colors, I decided I wanted the printer to put the graphics in and it would eliminate going to the laser. <laughs> oh, so if you're watching on the video, DBX just, uh, is that about the size of a softball or maybe a little larger? He just put a picture up of his wasp's nest. Yeah, it, you should have seen, well, you did see. Yeah, they love it. They love it in the walls. So I was trying to figure this out. Now, my original procedure, now we're getting into the nitty gritty here. So if you're here to, to, to carefully take notes, this is when you want to start listening. My original procedure for making these was as follows. I went into fusion and I, I got my artwork into fusion. Now I thought that I brought in artwork you know, weeks ago using, uh, SVG format and then importing the SVG because in fusion, there's a button that says import S SVG. 
But that absolutely was not working for me, and I couldn't figure out why. So we ended up uh, exporting as a DXF file from Adobe Illustrator and then importing the DXF, which was no problem. So the DXF for the artwork came in like that. And then, and again, this was weeks ago, I did an extrusion in the top surface of the lid um, and the bottom surface of the tray, same thing. I did a two thousandths of an inch uh, cut using the extrusion, right? I extruded, I extruded a cut into the lid. At two thousandths of an inch, the, a 3D printer is going to do nothing with it. However, <clears throat> the slicing software is able to see it. So then I was able to go into, um, uh, I think it's called layer painting or, or uh, filament color painting or something like that, and, and select those two thousandth of an inch extrusions and put in the black. And it worked, and it came out great. In fact, the one I'm holding up <clears throat> to the camera is, in fact, one of those. The problem was is that it, it did the black three layers deep. Now, it turns out that the only setting that, I, that made sense was the bottom shells in the, in the uh, slicer. Bottom shells was set to three which means it would have a minimum of three layers on the bottom. So the slicer decided that that color change was going to happen throughout all three of those layers. This caused um, three, I think it's technically four filament changes to happen. Now a filament change in the, in the bamboo, uh, when it works perfectly, it's magnificent but it's a risk and every now and then you'd get because of the filament change you'd get some little detritus on the print or you'd get some something weird happen so i wanted this to only be one layer thick just the bottom layer nothing else well I tried A and I tried B and I tried C and I, I was really having trouble making this work. And that's where I was sitting at my desk, had Fusion open and uh, I had the chat room open and in walks Dylan <laughs> into, the, into the chat room. And I told him what I was trying to do and we started kind of noodling it and trying things and I was doing it live. And, and finally... What's the re retraction time on the X1 for color changes? Um, I don't know how to answer the retraction time on color changes, but a, a full color change takes probably, it, it's not quick. It takes time. And that's the other thing is it, it, it adds time to the process. If I had a, if I had to estimate, I'd say you're, you're 20, 20 to 30 seconds to retract the old filament fire up the new filament, purge. You have to purge the system so it makes another piece of poop out the back. Then it comes back in and then it starts printing again. 20, 30 seconds. So we tried all of the, um, all of the different techniques that we can come up with and finally nailed it. So 
the new ones and the ones I'm shipping right now that have the nomenclature in one layer, which is huge. And the biggest thing is not the printing time. Although you could make the argument that I saved, I might've saved a couple of minutes on printing time. The biggest thing is, say it with me now, process reliability. It's doing one filament change. This has made me very happy. So I want to tell you how we did that. And I've got my, my list here. So another important thing to do, which I'm, I'm not a hundred percent good at, um, you know, keep your notebook <laughs> and write in your notebook, which I did when Dylan was there and we finally hit pay dirt. Um, and how do you know you hit pay dirt? Because when you import the things and you slice it, you can move the little slider and look at each layer. And when we saw that the first layer had the black graphics and the second layer was pure red, we knew that was it. So here's the process. Number one, get your artwork into DXF format. Yes, theoretically, you could bring in an SVG. We tried a bunch of times and that just didn't work well. And I don't know why. And if somebody knows how to explain why SVG might be better, and what I was doing wrong, I'm all ears. So get your artwork into a, into a, a DXF uh, format. The second thing is to create a new component. So in Fusion, the thing you're building that you want to add the artwork to should be in one component. And the uh, artwork should be a new component called, it could be called graphics or artwork. So when you do that, you could, you could create a sketch on the surface that you want this thing to be on in your new component and you put your artwork in there and now you're going to, uh, make an extrusion. So take, take that artwork and extrude it into the part one layer height. So I was using 0.2 millimeters because I checked in my slicer and that was what my first layer is going to be. So you extrude your artwork 0.2 millimeters. Uh, and now you have uh, a, a separate, two separate components and they're coexisting in the same space. Well, you know, you can't have that. So the next thing you do is use a combine command and you're going to select the, the, the body, which is the thing you're putting the artwork on. And you're going to, as, as the thing, as the first thing, and then you're going to select what's called a tool. So the tool is the, is your graphics is this solid that you extruded from your graphics and you go to combine and you say cut, but not so fast. You say cut cause you're going to cut it into the part, but then you click the box that says keep tools. So this will keep both your part that you're marking plus your graphics as two separate solids, except you've cut the hole out for them in the part that you're marking. You follow so far? So now you have these two components, one that's been uh, engraved, so to speak, and one is the, the, the part that's going into the so-called engraving. And then you're going to, um, let's see if I missed anything. Yeah, then you're going to use the export to STL function of Fusion 360. 
So you go to uh, you go up to your menus, you go to utilities, and then you go to 3D print. And what I like to do in this case, you could do it either way. You could either go to a file or you could check the little checkbox. Like if you have bamboo set up as a link, you could just use that. But you, you export the STL. <clears throat> now you import it, or it has already been imported into bamboo. And here's where a very important thing happens. Bamboo is going to say to you, do you want me to uh, import this as one thing that has multiple objects in it? And the answer is yes. This is the first time I've ever said yes to that question. So they come in and they come into the exact same spot, right? right they're all aligned. They're all doing the right thing. But now <clears throat> under, um, under the filament settings, is it the filament settings? Uh, you'll see a little, you'll see two buttons, one that says global and one that says objects. And if you've never done this before, it's always been on global. So now you select objects and now you will note that you have two objects. The first object <clears throat> is your thing that you're putting the graphics on. And the second object is your graphics. Now you can make sure you add your second filament color. So up on the fill in the filament section, you hit the plus sign. You should have one. In my case, it would be red is, is filament one and black is filament two. Now on your objects, you could say, make this object with filament one and make this object with filament two and you're done. Um, and that's it. Once you get to that point, you are ready to print. You can save. You know, I always recommend saving your project and it will do the right thing and it will be exactly one layer deep and you're, and everything's in control and it works perfectly. So I've been cranking out, uh, any, anything you saw on Instagram in the last you know couple of days, I think I posted a picture yesterday cause I was working on no, it was the day before yesterday because I, I was finishing up four-inch rectangular PFG stones and I showed the bottom of one of the new trays, which has another change I'll talk about. And it came out perfectly. And it is one filament change, one layer deep, and it looks bueno. Okay, so Proteum says, I think I may have a way to streamline that workflow and eliminate the combined step, maybe I need to do a little testing and send a video your way. Thank you, sir. Listen, I'm, I'm thrilled with the result. And if we could, you know, make it a little more efficient, that's great. But we achieved the goal. Uh, that process is very smooth. I now have to, so I have the, uh, the minis are done that way. The mini lids are done that way. I have to switch over to Oh, I think I did the four inches also. So I got to do the six inch. I'm, I'm revamping all of my um, project files for the printers. But that was the news. So that worked out fantastically well. And I have to say, it comes out absolutely gorgeous. The other thing we did recently, and I mentioned this before, is we adopted a new font for uh, the whole product line, which is easy to uh, 3D print. 
this particular one is called Bryant, uh, and it is one of the Adobe fonts, and I really like it. So the other thing we did, and I unfortunately I don't have an example for you, is we uh, updated the the tray designs, and I think we got three three of them done: the minis, the fours, the sixes. And the tray designs used to have one big oval in the bottom, and they were open so that you know it would let any schmutz escape out the bottom. Uh, and then uh, months ago, one of my clients uh, grumbled at me, and he said, I dropped a stone through the hole, and he was unhappy. Um, so I took that to heart, and on this go-around, we changed it. Now it has these three little ovals. You cannot fit a stone through it, but it's still open so that the, the stuff can escape. So that was the other change. So the, the trays and the lids are coming out great, and that's done. And it's crazy to think how much, you know, how important it is to get that done in order to, to make the PFG stone experience as magnificent as it is, but we got it done. Um, so that was, that was the, the, uh, the major thing. There was some, some other stuff I want to cover in 3d. And if you guys have any questions, again, feel free to put it in chat and I will address them. There were some other, uh, wins in, in the um, 3D printing department that I'll, I'll go over real quick. Uh, we had to address <laughs> the needs of Chandler, Arizona uh, and their ridiculous high temperatures because, as you may recall, Joel L. Um, bought one of the little Sensorian boards from me and also the little case I designed and he reported that the PLA print, it was a straight PLA print, shrunk two millimeters <laughs> uh, by the time he opened it from its package in Chandler, Arizona. And of course, you know Chandler, Arizona is usually about 150 degrees Fahrenheit. So that was a little crazy. And I mean, I knew it warped and I, I kind of grokked that. But when he said it, it changed size by two millimeters, <laughs> I almost fell off my chair. Anyway, he reprinted some stuff in um, PETG, I believe, and is very happy with the design. By the way, that STL is free. It's on the links page, and it works great for the Sensorian board. More on that in a minute. So I wanted to print it in ASA, and I eventually made, I, I had ASA on a spool that would not fit in my printer it wouldn't fit in the ams so i re-spooled it and what i did is i i had to come up with a really quick design for a re-spooler so if you're watching the video you'll see i'm holding this piece of all thread uh with two nuts on one side two nuts on the other side and in the middle a pair of cones okay dbx we probably know the same people it's a pair of cones and these were printed out of um, tough, uh, tough PLA, uh, the same material used in the balancing stands. And I captured a spool on this thing and I put it into my electric drill, my DeWalt electric hand drill. So that was on one side. And on the other side, a second one of these holding the other spool and that was held in my vise. 
And I was able to, to use that and re-spool the filament, in this case ASA, um, and get it ready to use in the printer. Now, ASA is a high-temperature filament that a lot of people love. I was turned on to it by Eddie Reese, and uh, no bearings, no bearings, sir. So I'm a big fan of, of, uh, of double nutting. And it'll let, it allows you to precisely, you know, either tighten them, like on the drill side, okay, I tighten these tight up against the, the, the spool so it would have a lot of drag. And on the vice side where the spool was paying out, I just gave a little drag. And by having the, the double nuts, you can make a very fine adjustment and lock it. And it was just perfect. So making two of these, which cost me... Uh, zero except for the you know printing the the cones um it worked out just fantastically uh so the asa got re-spooled and then i was able to go ahead and make uh some of the sensorian housings out of asa um so if anybody wants you know if anybody ordered the the pla one and got a physical one for me and and you want uh an ASA version, just say the word absolutely free. Um, I'll, I'll ship it to you. Um, but that'll, that'll hopefully withstand, uh, Chandler, Arizona. So that was something from the 3d printing bucket. Um, another thing from the 3d printing bucket, let's see, which order are we going to go in? Oh, so I found these things on, um, on printables which is the Prusa version of, uh, you know, collection of things to print. So if you have, I, I really like Overture filament and I was printing all the trays in Overture filament. I still, I still am. I'll be for a, a little bit. Um, this, you, you, you can rip open the cardboard very carefully. There's a procedure for this. And then you can uh, use one of these and jam this in the middle of the cardboard spool. And then this will now fit into the bamboo reusable spool. So this is an adapter from the Overture uh, cardboard spool to the bamboo reusable spool, and it works perfectly. So that was another one uh, that, was, that is, is currently in regular use in the 3D printing department. Um, I'm going to go a little bit out of chronological order. Another win this week was, and again, if you're following on Instagram, you saw this already, these little, uh, touchscreen styluses, which is really styli, um, that has a conductive, conductive rubber tip that is a lot smaller than this finger, which is also a conductive tip. <laughs> so in using the bamboo and it's touchscreen, I was going a little nuts because there's one little symbol, which is like a little pen. Oh, DBX used to have dinner with the printing cones. I'd like to, I'd like to hear how the latkes were. Um, anyway, it, to get that little symbol, that little pen with the, that says you're editing the, the filament, I, I just, it was like one in 10. I can, I can get it. This thing works every time. So I also made uh, a little holder for it with VHB tape attachment. 
Okay. And now on the side of each printer of each of the bamboos is a, uh, a little stylus for using on the touch screen, by the way, the link to get these, they're, they're cheaper than dirt, uh, from Amazon is on the links page and the STL for printing actually is a three MF. I gave you a three MF for this one to print. These is also on the links page, huge win efficiency improvement. And that was good. Joel says, I would recommend making a nice screwdriver like handle with a bearing inside attached to the all thread to balance the take up spool with the drill. Actually very, very good idea because what happens is when you're holding it, um, it's torquing your wrist and it's okay for a while, but if you do it for a long time, it's pretty tiring. So that's a really good idea. So what he's talking about is your drill is in one hand and then you have a bearing in the other hand and you're able to support both sides of that wheel. Excellent idea, Joel. Thank you very much. Um, okay. Are you ready for some controversy? <laughs> this is under the heading of new desiccant procedures. You may recall when we last met our heroes, we were all in love with these $3 hygrometers. Furthermore, we were in love with these 3D printed little uh, desiccant cages, which when used in groups of three, fit into the front of the, of the AMS unit on the bamboo and provided a pretty good volume of, of desiccant. Also, and I was promoting this, there were these replacements, these little these little containers to further use your uh, desiccant in the little two spots in the AMS, which when you buy it comes with two little pouches of desiccant in it, and you're supposed to recharge them or replace them. They said replace them. So by printing these containers and putting them in, in the, uh, in the bamboo, we started getting a nice dry AMS environment, which was very good for maintaining the dryness of our filament, which is very important, as you know, for excellent prints. However, a whole bunch of things started happening. Number one, we figured out that the $3 hygrometers are worth every penny. Uh, we started using the Sensorians as reference standards, and they started telling the truth and it was a little scary <laughs> how bad the $3 hygrometers were. And I could, you know, we could talk about that for a long time, but it's not worth it because they're $3. So I started looking for a solution to that. Oh, and the biggest problem, the biggest problem is when you go to try to recharge these things, you have to take all of your filament out of your AMS because each one of these things, each one of the, the little baskets that's, that sits toward the front of your AMS are blocked by at least two filament spools. And then the, the, the other little containers are also blocked by at least two filament spools. So you ended up having such a high barrier to, you know, energy barrier to overcome to change these out that they always went, you know, to the point where they were saturated and, you know, it was a pain in the neck or it took all sorts of time. So I didn't like that. 
so here's my new procedure. Number one, I, I took the Sensorian board, which we trust, in its new case, which is magnificent, and its new bracket, which I have shown on Instagram. I'm sorry I don't have one to show here. And I don't know if I put that STL up, um, but I should, and I will. And if you want to buy this whole set, again, it'll be in the store. Um, I'm only going to charge a couple of bucks. And I attached the Sensorian on the, in my case, the right-hand wall of the clear plastic of the AMS door. So I could, I can scooch my head around and I could look at the relative humidity inside of the container. That was step one. Step two, here comes the controversy, is I ripped out all of these containers, the, the one from the bottom of the AMS, the one from the front of the AMS, the one that holds the $3 hygrometer from, you know, ripped them out and took them out of service. They are no longer welcome here. Then I went looking for and found a model of a desiccant container that would fit in and stay in the center of a spool. And I found one that looks a lot like this. Okay. So this is a desiccant container it's a, that I respun. So the original design uh, of this had two flanges and unscrew it unscrewed on one side and you put desiccant in the container and that went through the spool and then you took the other you took the thing you just unscrewed and that had a flange and you screwed it on and that tightened into the spool and it contained a fair amount of of, of desiccant so i respun these number one they were very loose in the uh Okay, Machine NZ is leaving. Everybody wave. Uh, you got to wave down, upside down. Take care. Have a great day at work. Thanks for being here. So these, as designed, were very uh, loose in the bamboo reusable spool. In fact, the bamboo reusable spool is 55 millimeters uh, hole, and they were designed at 50 millimeters. So it was pretty sloppy. That was problem number one. Problem number two is, well, it was sloppy and it was wasted volume, right? We want to we maximize the volume. So I redesigned it and I got rid of the flange on one end and I made it so that it goes together and it slides in. Also, I rescaled it until this was a nice slide fit. I think it's a half a millimeter of play into the 55 millimeters um, hole then i made a couple of, of little um what do you what would you call these uh uh detents um to capture the opposite wall of the spool and hold it in so you do not have to open this thing up while it's in the spool you just yank it out put a new one in it goes snick and it stays there now here's the magic the magic is it takes 100 milliseconds to change one of these out Pull out the old one, put it in the new one, you're done. Number two, you set up a rule that says every time that spool leaves the AMS, it gets it gets a recharge with fresh desiccant. Easy peasy. Okay. Uh, between those rules, the respin, 
it has worked great. So now my current setup is each spool has one of these in it, one of these removable desiccant containers, which I'm, I really like. And, and, and there's one sensorian in each AMS. So for a total of three, one in each of my three AMSs. And that's the whole system. Uh, it's easy to change out the desiccant. Uh, the desiccant you could you you could you can use these same ones for storage. Although I have a lot of the other storage containers, so when it's in its storage container, you, you could have some desiccant. But every time it every time that uh, roll of filament crosses the boundary of the AMS going in or coming out, it gets a recharge on on desiccant, and that system has been fantastic. So. Um, Joel asks, thank you, Kbach. Um, and Joel says, what relative humidity have you been able to keep? This is a very good question. So our $3 hygrometers have been lying to us, like pretty thoroughly. Pretty much anything below 40% relative humidity on the $3 hygrometers is, is crap. It's a crap number. So, and also the $3 hygrometers were stopping at 10% and they were kind of like landed at 10% and they would stick there and you thought you had 10%. Well, I have news. We didn't have 10%, <laughs> not even close. So what I'm able to keep now is 20, uh, it ranges from about 15 to 25% relative humidity. Um, I can get below 20% relative humidity if I'm disciplined about all of, everything I just told you. The manufacturer says storage of the filament at 20% or, or lower. So those, we're recalibrating now. Those are comfortable numbers. And I've been running uh, 60, 60 to 65% relative humidity in the basement, which for some of you, I know you, you're saying that's pretty dry. For the guys in Arizona, you're saying that's pretty wet. <laughs> I get it. But it's a number pretty far away from 20 it's been working fantastically well. So that is my new setup. Strongly recommend it. Yeah. So Joel uh, says your cheap hygrometer shows 12% up from 10 last month. Uh, and Sensirian reads 21%. Guess which one is right? The Sensirian is telling you the truth. So that's the new... Uh, desiccant procedure very happy with it and you know i i'm i was very pleased with those little containers in that they held a lot of desiccant but changing them out was just no good and every single three dollar hygrometer in my system has been removed and i have them lined up on a shelf in my basement all agreeing and all showing the wrong information <laughs> so um, that leads me to the question of, uh, new sensing. So inside your sensorian is a, is a sensor. That's the whole purpose of that board is sensorian sells these sensors, uh, called the SHT 40. So on this little board here, which you're seeing in the, in the video, this is an Adafruit board which is hosting an SHT 45. 
45 is a, a more accurate version of the 40. That's all. For our purposes, it, it's maybe overkill, but we like overkill. This particular one has a four-wire interface called an I-squared-C interface. Now, Adafruit is using the I-squared-C interface as a daisy chain. You could put a whole bunch of sensors on one of their feathers. This here is called a feather. This is the ESP32-S3 reverse TFT. In other words, it's got a little display here, a TFT display, and... Uh, and that's pretty cool. Plus, it has a couple of buttons. So this guy talks to the sensor, and there's a whole library of uh, software for doing that. So what I've done is uh, started playing with the Adafruit um, sensors. And one of the things that you can do is use their, their service called Adafruit I.O. or I.O. Adafruit or something. But I'm showing in the video, there's my little proto board and it's got another Adafruit product on it called a QT Pi that runs Python, and it has uh, the temperature humidity sensor on it, the one you just saw. This guy is configured right now to use their cloud solution. So it's pretty easy to configure. I'm not going to get into the details uh, in this in this show here, um, but you can bring this guy up, point it at your Adafruit account, give it your Wi-Fi information, and it will suddenly become a feed of temperature and re relative humidity. And I think you would have to agree, I'm going to unplug this just to make it easier to show you. I think you'd have to agree that that size is really convenient and it would be nice to have a little tiny package that big. So I'm working on, I'm working on that because the big stumbling block right now is current drain and batteries. So designing something like that to use very little power it requires some serious uh, engineering. I am, I just brought myself up to the point now where I'm starting to learn how to code in Python and I have discovered the available tools already in the library for putting the thing to sleep for minimum power drain and maybe taking a reading once an hour, which is probably, probably plenty. Uh, so standby, I haven't gotten, you know, terribly far on this yet, but I'm hoping to make a small device battery powered that will last an appreciable amount of time for the, for the kind of things we do that can be tossed into the AMS, that could be tossed into a, a storage container, and we can um, um, we could use their cloud to put up a dashboard and, and see all, all of our uh, information. Almost says, be careful with changing power to the devices. Yeah, so one of the things I've experienced, um, yeah, it's even worse than that almost, he says, if you cycle or reduce power, it won't take a reading until several minutes after resumption of power. Yeah, I, I'm going to deal with all that when, when I get back to it. Um, but one thing to be aware of is the Cutie Pie, which I'm kind of not going to use. I, I like the other one, which is the, which is the, um, the 
ESP32-S3 Feather. Um, the Cutie Pie, when, when the batteries I had it running on died, it actually got corrupted. And when I put new batteries in, the file was corrupted and it couldn't come back up. I had to reload it. So that was bad. Could it have been re-engineered? Yes. Am I, did I want to spend time on that? No. <laughs> my, my clients want me spending engineering time on their stuff. So the, um, the Feather, the, the ESP32 Feather has, all, has a battery input, uh, this big connector right here, has a battery input and charging and power management all built in, and it's more robust. So I think we're going to land on that. Um, that's twenty-four bucks for the for that feather, which I think is crazy, crazy cheap. Um, anyway, more to follow, but this sensor network is fantastic, and I will be uh, reporting the news on the Instagram feed and, of course, on PFG Live. But for our purposes, uh, I think it's going to work out great. Meanwhile, the Sensorian board continues to be a fantastic solution. Also, shockingly, about 30 bucks. So that's, uh, that's my new setup. That's my new uh, procedure, and it's working absolutely fantastically. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to ask them. Um, I want to say a big thank you to... Uh, Unix Carbide for having a wonderful trip to Japan and bringing me a goodie. So, well, let me back up here a little bit. The pragmatic machinist, Chris, a while back asked me to, um, no, I have not yet posted the STL for the desiccant holders. I will do that. Okay. And I will put this right in front of me on, at my desk to remind me to do that. Um, so, uh, pragmatic machinist Chris um, asked me for help in designing a gauge for his business. And it was basically a straight edge, but it was basically a very good straight edge for the field. This is the setup part that um, came out of that project. Okay. And this is A2 tool steel. Um, it looks like it should be a scale or a ruler, depending on which side of the river you're from. Uh, his, the production units only had one bevel. This one happens to have two bevels. And this is 100% ground. And this is flat. Ask me how flat. Okay, I'll tell you. Very flat and very straight. That was the whole purpose of this. Be very, very, very straight. So I, this is sitting on my desk and I'm playing with it and... And I'm saying, gee, you know what I really want is I want a Kiridashi. So when, when Ike uh, DBX, uh, not DBX, sorry. Uh, when uh, Unix Carbide said he was off to um, Japan, I said, can you bring me back a Kiridashi? And he did. And here it is. And it's beautiful. Okay. Now, I had special requirements, which he met. My requirements were, I want a hardware store Kiridashi. In other words, when we go into a hardware store, we could buy a set of, you know, we could buy a scale or we could buy a set of calipers from General Brand is one of the brands, right? 
or Craftsman used to be one of the brands. And you can get an okay tool for a, an okay price, and that was good enough. That's what I wanted. I wanted a hardware store Kiridashi. So this is exactly what I got. Okay. By the way, this thing is sharp, sharp, sharp. It's, it's unbelievable. So what I want to do is I want to make the sort of the metal workers or the tool makers Kiridashi. And it's characterized by being flat on one side. And the bevel that makes the blade is only on the other side and nowhere else. So you can, you can bring it flat up against a piece of work and scribe another piece of work. And it's, it's a wonderful scribing knife. But the other thing that fascinates me about the Kiridashi is that it's minimalist. There's very little to do to make it. And that is also interesting. Although Unix carbide will point out that there's a little bit of a hollow ground on the backside. We may forego the hollow so that it can be uh, uh, tweaked up on a stone and have contact with the stone only on the periphery, which, as you know, is for maximum pressure so that it can actually take some material. Isn't that kind of cool? <laughs> New York Machinist says, Carbide Kiridashi? You know, I played bass for Carbide Kiridashi back in the 80s. It's a hard band. Moving on. So, or was that a heavy metal joke? That could have been a heavy metal joke. Uh, I really like this thing. So I'm admiring my hardware store, Kiridashi, and I pick up, do I have it here? Yeah, I did. I pick up my Mitutoyo calipers, how appropriate, and I slam them on there, okay, and I get, Let's see if I can show you that. Come on. Focus. 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 There it is. 0. 0.10000. <laughs> oh, it was so funny. Anyway. Yeah, Joel says he remembered that band. It was, he, he always thought it was kind of sharp. <laughs> well done, sir. Oh, yeah. No, make no mistake about it. Uh, you cannot throw this in your pocket. <laughs> if you if you throw this in your pocket, it will be coming out the other side. And I don't mean of the pocket. So I have some ideas. Um, but what I want to end up with is this sort of aesthetic, right? This is this gorgeous piece of ground, A2, except it's a Kiridashi. And I have some ideas about uh, a blade protector for it. But I think that would be great EDC. I mean, imagine a blade protector that's essentially slides up and, and protects the blade and isn't going to, you know, isn't going to accidentally open up. But as a shop tool, as a, a grab and go, I really like this. But I love the minimalist um, design aesthetic. So that's what I've been thinking about Kiridashis. If you have any ideas in that department, let me know. But I think it might be kind of fun. And it will involve heat treating, grinding, design, lasering, and uh, might be might, might come out pretty nice. Um, 
any chance there'd be a knife steel like CMP15, I can't see all of it, SV90, I don't know. So I'm not an, I, I'm not a knife steel expert. I just read books and, uh, we, we'll, we'll have some fun. Oh, by the way, the other thing I, I failed to mention about the gauges that I made for, uh, Chris is not only were they a two tool steel and not only were they hardened to, uh, Rockwell C60 or 62, um, they were also cryode. <laughs> so there's like, I, there's nothing I could have done to this thing, uh, in this alloy better thing came out gorgeous okay so uh thanks again to unix carbide for the opportunity to study the, uh, that wonderful piece of art and i will do something with it well that's uh that's my list for today i think we kind of covered it um wow widget Widget Works says, I have some chunks of carbide wear inserts that would be big enough to make one of those. I might give it a try. Stay tuned. Uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch on that. Have grinder. We'll travel. Well, guys, we've arrived at the top of the hour, the other hour, and um, I think we got pretty well caught up. I'm just checking my lists here. Um. Yeah, nothing, nothing worth reporting uh, beyond that, uh, and uh, we'll we'll pick up next week. So uh, one important thing before you run away and push the the next uh, the next button, if you're a consumer of the podcast of this fine show, I would uh, respectfully request you to go over to YouTube and subscribe. Even though you're not getting it from YouTube, you're getting it from your podcatcher. Uh, it will tell me that you're there. And right now, that's what we're looking for. So if you are enjoying the podcast, please go subscribe on YouTube. That's my ask. If you're on YouTube, please subscribe. Uh, a surprising number of folks are watching this on YouTube and they are not subscribers. We'd love to have you as subscribers so we know you're there. Okay, guys, take care. Uh, almost. Have fun. Stay cool. Carl. Uh, try to uh, stay in the air conditioning down in the Rhode Island. K-Bonk, take care, buddy. Keep all your thumbs. <laughs> CJ Stevens, have a great week. Uh, he says, hit that like button before you leave. Thank you, sir. <laughs> uh, Carl re it reminds us that he is innocent. I'll take that under advisement. Joel, have a great week yourself. And thanks for being here for this episode of PFG Live.